The History of Alternative Podcast. A historic look back at everything alternative. Cage the Elephant is one of the defining alternative bands of the 21st century since their self-titled debut in 2008 and all the way on through social cues in 2019. Cage's music has always been visceral, emotional, and real. And when I say real, I'm putting that in like all caps. Uh, And the band's live show is a masterclass on how to own a stage and a crowd. This is the History of Alternative podcast. I am John Manley, and I can play the Simpsons theme song on a trumpet. That's JVO. And the podcast is brought to you this week by Wintrust. For locations and information, go to Wintrust.com. And in the spirit of social cues, people always say, at least around the podcast. <laughs> Matt Schultz of Cage the Elephant is with us this week as we talk about the history of Cage the Elephant. Matt, hello. Thank you for joining us, man. Hey, how's it going? Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, Let's start all the way at the very beginning. Um, My first musical memory of you guys is uh, I was in a studio at an old radio station and you guys came in and performed in the studio just to the the host at the time. And I was in the other room and you guys were stomping your feet so hard that you were rattling my studio walls. And at first I was really pissed off (laughs) because I was trying to do some work. But by the end of it, I was so impressed that in this little room with only one dorky little radio show host watching, you guys were in there performing like it was the biggest show of your lives. And honestly, I was a fan ever since. Uh, that's my first musical memory of you guys. What is your first musical memory of all? Ever? Ever. Um, well, uh, when Brad and I were growing up, our father um, always had had a band and had musicians around the house. And um, he would also just, he would record on the weekends. So um, most of our weekends consisted of like having to be as quiet as we possibly could while our dad was tracking um, or like stay outside all day playing and which wasn't a bad childhood. Um, but yeah, music was always around. So um a lot of those memories. I remember uh, when he would have his, his band buddies over and, um, you know, like sitting in the lap of his drummer while they were practicing and stuff like that. Um, there was one time actually when um, Brad and I were probably, must have been at like six or seven years old. And um, there was this kid in our neighborhood who, uh, was well versed in the art of dumpster diving. <laughs> um, we lived in an apartment complex, and um, I remember it was so funny because he like grabbed us like he had this great knowledge to bestow upon us. He was like, "You can jump in a dumpster and dig trash out and keep it if you like." And we were like, "That's pretty cool," <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so, anyways, we we were like. Digging through the trash which is disgusting, <laughs> like, um, but um, yeah, we were we were um, uh, pillaging and we found um, we found a drum kit or at least like some remnants of a drum kit, like score. So we grabbed the snare and and the toms and and the um, the bass drum and took it home, and there was no real hardware, so we kind of like pushed up against the wall and 
um, rigged it together with like a series of weird homemade contraptions um, made by five and six year olds or whatever <laughs> old we were. And um, my mother uh, um, asked what we got, and we're like, "Oh, it's, it's we got it for free. It's we got it out of the trash." <laughs> my mom's like, "That's disgusting," <laughs> and my dad was like, "Awesome, that's of so good." You know. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, my first instrument was a drum kit uh, dug out of the trash, and Dad's first instrument was like a five dollar guitar. <laughs> Um, that's how like our our musical journey started, and um, we just uh, play very poorly. And my dad he 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 said that that was originality. <laughs> he was like, get really good at being really bad, and you'll be original. So um, that was kind of his motto. But yeah, music was always around. So with music always around you, with outside of the house, was there an album, artist, or concert that kind of lit the fire that made you say? yeah, I want to do this. I want to start my own band. Mm, probably, probably the Beatles. Um, I'm going to date myself here, but um, I don't know if you guys remember when the Beatles anthology came out and it was a really big deal. And sure. um, it was like on ABC every single night, the week that it was released or whatever. And um, I remember that we would, we would all gather around the TV. <laughs> Sounds like this was in the fifties or whatever. But um, really, every single night was like this special thing, and it was like the Beatles anthology. And we all um, we'd have dinner and sit and watch for you know several hours the episodes. And um, it was probably the Beatles that really kicked it off for us as far as um, I love the music. And my father actually. Um, had he he uh, he had a transformation and um, started playing Christian music when, when uh, Brad and I were pretty young, and so for the most part, that's what we heard around the house. But every once in a while, Dad would be feeling uh, feeling um, giddy, and he'd put on some Jimi Hendrix or the Beatles or Pink Floyd. And um, and that was kind of like what we cut our teeth on. That's amazing. So uh, this is a great transition from the Beatles. So um, you guys get started. You're really, to me, like as American rock and roll as it gets. Um, but you guys actually kind of started your career in London for a while, right? What was What was that time like? And what were your biggest lessons or takeaways from that period of time being off in the UK? Um, it was, it was pretty phenomenal and this, it's odd because the further I get away from that time period, the more, the more I'm able to realize how special it was. Sure. Um, you know, I, years ago I would have said that there wasn't really a culture shock, but now having time to evaluate it was an extreme culture shock. Um, in all the the best ways, but I remember in particular how growing up in a small town here in America, rural rural America, um, what was for us what we considered to be real music was I mean, the only thing we really had 
that felt extremely authentic was like a classic rock station. Sure. Um, and so a lot of what we thought was, was the only, um, genuine, sincere, authentic music was like Bob Dylan and the Beatles. And of course it is. Um, and the stones and all everything you would consider in that world. But, um, when we first arrived to England, you know, discovering a lot of the punk scene that we had never been exposed to, um, and then post-punk and new wave, no wave, cold wave. And it was like, Oh wow. Like it was a real eye opener. Um, just coming to know and understand how broad music really was. And, and it also just transformed um, the way we made music and how we pushed ourselves. I remember in particular, we were on tour with the Foles and it was like their first big tour as they were starting to, to have a rise in their career. Really exciting time. It was fun just to watch because at that point for us, it was still pretty much a dream. We were doing a residency there, but, hadn't gained a load of traction. Um, but anyways, watching them like kind of become a thing and explode was, was really exciting. Um, even from third party. And so I remember, you know, uh, aspiring to do the same and, um, and then listening to their album and after listening to that, that record antidotes realized how incredibly deep it was and well thought out and emotionally interesting and intellectually interesting. And, um, we put that record on and listened to it from front to back and no one spoke a word. And afterwards we had just realized that there was so much more to music. I know that sounds, uh, like the, the biggest, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the most obvious statement <laughs> that you could ever yeah. hear. Like there's so much to music. Um, but really at that time we'd been extremely encapsulated in this small town, um, life for our whole lives. And, um, yeah, it just like, uh, feel like I'm about to go reading rainbow on you guys, but it opened up a world of possibilities. No, that's the um, whole point of this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, we knew then that we had to continue to reimagine what, that sincere and genuine uh, um, place was within music for ourselves and to reignite the fire of obsession and interest. And so um, that was, a, that was an extremely freeing thing for us. Um, and I know that it's, it can be easy to get weighed down by too many possibilities, but for us, being able to start to uh, visualize things outside of just, you know, a classic rock sound changed sure. the way that we looked at music and made music. So, Going back to the Beatles real quick. What I like about Cage the Elephant is I think what a lot of people like about the Beatles, the Beatles changed what they did. They didn't lock themselves into one sound. They reinvented themselves. They tried new things. They took chances. I feel like, and we'll, we'll, we'll dig into social cues a little bit, but I feel like that's Cage the Elephant's approach. I, I feel like you don't allow yourself to be pigeonholed sonically. Um, yeah, try not to. Try, try not to think under those in, in, 
in those terms. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to view it more as being um, a group of musicians and composers that live in the spirit of composition and whatever the song asks for or, or demands as far as um, what we see is the best interpretation of the song, um, to lean more into that side of it than a predetermined uh, direction based on persona and pop culture and things that honestly end up becoming a hindrance in the creative process. Um, it's nice to have some foundation to build off of um, and some guidelines, but um, generally try to stay away from genre specific um, leanings. Sure. But yeah, the Beatles definitely were a huge inspiration in, in that area where it seemed, it seemed like they made an effort to break all the rules. Um, so when you go into recording, do you start, like when you guys get to the studio or to the place where you start demoing, like, is there an idea there to begin with? Or does it um, kind of, is it born from just the creative process? Uh, especially when you consider, you know, uh, social cues, probably your creative and artistic high point uh, to this point, which was a real personal record for you guys. Was that intended to begin with or did that, I guess my question is, what's the process? Does it start with an idea and then you go and make music around it or does the music kind of guide you, so to speak? Uh, uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay once said that he's never written a song, the songs just come to him and he catches them. Mm. And I always thought that was kind of a really interesting and cool way to to explain the question that i think those of us that have absolutely no musical talent (laughs) always try to figure out is like how can you make these songs like where do they come from so um to make a really long question really long sorry um, (laughs) what is your process with with recording music well um going back to um to what you were asking at first is um whether uh um it was something that just came to us or if it was something that we visualized prior going to the studio i think it's a little bit of both you have a vision for um somewhat of the direction that you want to move in or um, I think one time I, I heard Bob Dylan in an interview saying that if he had heard the music that he wanted to hear, he never would have made music. And awesome. so I think that many times you're listening to to what's what's happening in the world at that time, um, socially and creatively, and then you want to uh, to create your interpretation of what you you um, would like to hear at that time. Um, so you have that idea or that visualization in your mind of what that is. And then, um, in the studio, it comes to life and usually more vibrant than you'd imagined. And, um, in the spirit of problem solving and creativity, stumble upon things that really add to the song and, um, well, maybe not add a song. That might be the wrong, uh, wording. I think actually more uh, that don't take away from the song and um, hold it back. I think that's one of the 
the biggest um, struggles in the studio is to uh, to present a song in a in a way that um, doesn't weigh it down, but that breathes more to the imagination of the listener. One thing that I've always found, and I'm probably getting a little off topic here, but uh, pretty interesting, uh, found pretty interesting is our memory of songs years removed, um, how we uh, remember how they sounded. Or, there's so many times we'd be in the studio and reference a song and be like, you know this one sound from you know this record? And uh, gosh, I really just loved how it sounded you know, uh, this way or what, whatever that was that we were looking for and reference it and be so sold out on what we're referencing the song and then listen to the, um, listen to the track and it's like, doesn't sound like that at all. So, um, but that's how we interpreted it and we remembered it. So in the studio, having those, those types of moments where, um, yeah, it's just a really interesting Creativity is such an interesting process. The human mind is such an interesting thing. Memory and um, I don't know. I'm kind of losing myself here, but um, yeah, it, it's a it's um, it sounds I, like it's a really cool collaborative experience. That when you leave the door open, good things can walk through it. Versus um showing up and winging it i guess would be the best way to put it right yeah for sure there is there is a little bit of a um or, or a big part of it is just utility you, there um there's a function that you um a functionality of it as well i mean music is music and so um showing up not over i don't know i just kind of made it sound pretty mystical but um <laughs> hey listen <laughs> we started this whole thing with practical yeah you know we started I mean? this whole so, thing like, with chris martin talking about catching songs out of the air so it doesn't get more <laughs> mystical than that right <laughs> well, yeah, at the well beginning, i mean it's, it's, it's extremely practical as well so there is always that side of things i mean you are there to create a song and for the most part the way that we look at songwriting and composition today, there is a, a format that's been used for about a hundred years. So um, there's that side to things. At the beginning of the, the, our conversation, John said that your live show is a masterclass on how to own a stage and crowd. We believe that. And I know Cage the Elephant has done a kajillion shows, but for us here in Chicago, there's one Cage the Elephant moment that I think stands tall above the rest. Uh, do you have memories of playing Lollapalooza 2017? Yeah. For us, for yeah, us those, are, those are emblazoned in our, in our minds. Uh, visions of you in fishnets, climbing the scaffolding. It, it seemed like this <laughs> wildly rock and roll, excessive, reckless moment on stage. And thinking about the emotions and, and just all the, all the drama that went into social cues, was that kind of an outpouring of where your frame of mind was at at the time heading into the social cues era a couple of years before? Um, yeah, I think that um, you have all these, uh, again, going back to 
um, direction that you have all these ideas about the direction that you want to move in and, um, and, and ambitions and a drive to, to grow and mature and, um, and those types of thoughts and aspirations. But then life always has a way of making it so much more interesting. The, the right events arrive in your life that there's a breaking open of, of yourself that, um, brings out so much more, at least that's the hope, but, um, brings out so much more than what you, uh, initially had imagined. And so definitely was that there's, that's the one thing about music that's so humbling. Um, especially the longer that you are, um, uh, chasing after music as, um, I hate to use the word career, but the music industry or to continue to put together bodies of work, um, you realize how humbling it is because, I mean, if you sit down with an instrument and you have a general idea for how to compose, then you can, you know, uh, in theory, compose for your whole life. And, but it doesn't mean that it'll have that life force behind it. And so um, you need those moments of heartbreak or um uh or moments of jubilee or whatever it is that like and it has to be real you can't fake it um i mean you can but it, it, most of the time people can can uh pick up on that so um yeah i think that i'm oh, sorry well i was gonna say and, and i think maybe that's the thing that made that 2017 show so incredible was that kind of the thing that I think people have always loved about Cage Elephant is that you're a working man's band, right? Like your hustle is really unmatched. And even on stage, um, I've always been impressed, like we talked about right at the beginning of the show, is you make people listen, <laughs> you know? And, and that's a great thing. And up until, you know, right around 2017, that was the aesthetic on stage, right? This, these guys are just balls out rock and roll. And then 2017, you started to add some theatrics to the whole thing. And uh, then on this last tour with the, and I'm sorry if I don't say this right, is it Buto? Is that how you? Yeah. Yeah. And you added that element to it as well. Is that something that's going to continue? Like, have you now started to really think of the performance and the music as like a 360 visual audio thing? Um. Yeah, I think it's more just like the process in general. After a while, um, after doing it for a while, in that sphere of reigniting the flame of obsession or excitement or interest, um, you start to want something deeper. And I think that what we found is that in the process at large, whether it's the visual aspect of things, the performance aspect, or the creative um, um, the composition of music, they all come back to similar um, processes. You have the obsessive hand and the decisive hand. You have that that moment of just um, freedom and uh, improv and, and uh, in real time reacting to whatever is happening without trying to guide it too much or um, uh, have a 
preconceived notion of what's happening. And then once you've had that just outpouring of the heart and the spirit and um, the soul or, or whatever you want to want to call it, um, then to go back and take all of that um, emotion that 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 um, that you've just released and have some moments to be decisive and uh, intellectually engage with it and disagree with yourself and um, find new perspectives. So um, I think as far as that, uh, um, that as far as also in the live show, it's the same type of thing. I I know that many times it, it feels or uh, looks like it's all happening extremely freeform and you want it to feel that way but after many years and especially when you're on um on tour with so many incredible artists or uh have the opportunity to watch other artists perform that you um that you are inspired by or uh, look up to you learn a lot and you learn what to do and you learn what not to do and you start looking for those deeper things um, to add to what we do. And I, I had a friend who um, who turned me on to Buto, and um, I just remember when I watched uh, a Buto performance the first time, I was like, "Wow!" If David Bowie was alive today and um, he's still creating music, I feel like this is something that he would really be into. And actually. Um, Flash, well, it's kind of like a flashback, but flash forward. <laughs> um, after I'd done quite a bit of Butoh training and kind of had that thought, I, I went down to Miami where um, Iggy Pop had cut some of the vocals on Broken Boy, and I was talking to him about Butoh, and he was like, oh, yeah, me and David Bowie went to a Butoh performance once. So I was like, wow, okay, cool. Um, but uh, it just had this um, unguided feeling to it it felt very responsive and not too predetermined but once I got into um training in Buteau you realize that there's so much more to it than what meets the eye and so um yeah you're looking for all all types of things that can add to the process or deepen your understanding of it and a lot of times what I mean by deepening your understanding uh, it's a bit of a misleading statement because it's more or less shedding more of the the um, bondage. Sometimes sure. it's not so much learning something, but learning how to let things go. Or yeah, it's so strange because you you'll get into something and you'll know something so rightly and it'll make so much sense, but then something happens to where you start to withhold in a certain area or it exposes an insecurity, which has a reaction. And then you have to relearn how to let go of those things, if it makes sense. Sure. Um, so there's always this kind of push and pull. But So you're hanging out. You've been, you got to hang out with Iggy Pop in Miami, which must have been an experience. Uh, you worked on Bet with Beck on your last record. You've toured with everyone. Dave Grohl even filled in on drums for you guys a few times. And you just mentioned, you know, going on on the road with these bigger bands and taking things from them and getting to pick their brains. What artist do you, would you say has kind of influenced you the most, maybe not necessarily sonically, but just the, you know, the artist that kind of 
you always look back to and go do what they did or they gave you the most lessons? Mm, gosh, it's hard because I feel like you pick up a little bit from everything that you, that you see. Um, definitely learned um, a lot early, early on just by, by the bands that we were cheering with it. Um, maybe a little further along or at the same level, but um, early on the foals really pushed us. Um, uh, there was a band called Screaming Tea Party that we toured a lot with in England and really learned so much from them. They were um, probably the first just like mind-blowing experience that we had as a group um, uh, on tour. And, um Let's see. Um, the Rolling Stones, for sure. Mick Jagger. I, I remember watching him perform. And the thing that was so, that struck me, um, that really struck me about Mick Jagger's performance is that he would do a lot of these these stage antics that most performers would stay away from, you know, in fear that it would be cheesy or like over the top. Um but he did them with such conviction and has done them with, with such conviction for his whole career. Um, so there's nothing that reads as unauthentic about it at all. I mean, he's invented a lot of those <laughs> antics. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think that one of the big like nightmares is that like uh, of, of many artists is having that, like um, that audience moment where you leave them all in like clapping. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's a, it's like, like, you know, that could be a disaster for like, um, uh, uh, Barney, the dinosaur for adults, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, um, a, a nightmare, but you know, like you see guys like that who, and, and, um, and, uh, yeah, you see performers like that do something that, that is, um, you know, as a stage entity that can be intimidating and do with such conviction and believability. And there's nothing unauthentic about it at all. And I mean, I'm, I definitely remember aspiring to that. Just being like, wow. I mean, he's totally, uh, totally submitted himself to the experience. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's funny because you find yourself watching someone like that and you're like, you're leading an experience with the audience kind of, um, but you're not excluded from the experience. And that's what I learned from from performers like Jagger or Nick Cave or um, trying to think, or Juliette Lewis or just people who absolutely... Um, take a hold of the experience and naturally the audience follows, but they're having the experience as well. And that's why it doesn't read as unauthentic. And so um, I took a lot from that. I definitely learned a lot from Iggy Pop. Um, just um, also with, with wild stage antics, but um I guess it's just a fearlessness. Well, I think the common uh, thread with all those artists, whether it's Juliet, whether, whether it's Mick Jagger, whether it's Iggy Pop, is swagger. And that's a word I think of when I see you on stage. You've got that, that swagger. 
that rock and roll confidence. You know, it's funny though. It's like the more that I learn about it, like swagger, um, like it's such a funny word. Um, because for me, it's, I find it to be extremely humbling. It's not like this thing of like, Oh, um, this is how great I am. And I'm going to show you. It really is this humbling experience of like submitting yourself or just letting go and being totally sold out on the experience as well. Um, all in. And, uh, and being as equally surprised by what's happening as the audience is. Um, I constantly have to remember when I'm on stage or remind myself that like, um, that it's a mutual experience. And um, I, in the moment, am as much the audience is as the audience is with me in the moment, um, if that makes any sense at all. Um, but I find that the smaller I feel, the the more intimate and the more real the experience is. And um, I guess it reads as confidence, but it's really a lack, not a lack of confidence. I guess it's confidence in, um, in the moment and not so much in yourself, if that makes any sense. Well, we, we think that every Cage Elephant show, I always feel like by the time we're done watching it, it's, it's a release for everybody. And, um, you know, you lead us down that path and we thank you for it. Uh, you guys are, like I said, to have gone from a band who was just kicking and stomping in a studio to climbing the scaffolding at <laughs> Lollapalooza. Um, you know, we can't wait to see you back on the road, uh, back doing live music. You have a benefit show coming up at the end of this month for Bread and Roses. Is that correct? Like a virtual yeah. show? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be awesome to see. Uh, very excited to uh, get a piece of that. And we hope you're well, man. I know it's been a rough year for everybody, especially for you guys. So, Matt, we thank you so much for joining us. Cage Elephant, uh, every show looks like it's teetering on a knife edge, and it always comes out great. <laughs> Uh, as does your music. So thank you so much for hanging out with us and joining us on the podcast today, man. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. The History of Alternative Podcast is recorded at the 101 WKQX Studios in Chicago. Subscribe on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't do drugs. Stay in school. 